This is the Dancepreneuring Studio podcast, session number 221, How to Cultivate the Effective Habits of a Champion. Hello there and welcome to session 221 of the Dancepreneuring Studio podcast. My name is Annette Bone and the Dancepreneuring Studio is the place where dance inspires life and business. I get the joy and the privilege of sharing my journey back into the dance world after a 20 plus year hiatus, the lessons I've learned, the transformation I've experienced, and the wonderful creatives I've met along the way who also share their stories, their ideas, strategies, and tactics to help move your life and your business forward. Excellence without effort is as futile as progress without preparation. A quote I found by William Arthur Ward that reminds me of my incredible guest today, B-Boy Crumbs who is beyond excellent, puts in intentional effort in whatever he does, has been progressive before things were even popular, before the dance scene was even as blown up as it is, and talk about preparation, there is a reason why he is a champion over and over and over again. And I'm so thrilled to share our conversation with you. Funny thing is when I wasn't dancing, I was watching all these dance movies and noticing different people and thinking, oh, this is great. These these dancers are great. I love all this. I didn't know that a lot of them, he was in it and it was him featured <laughs> until I started doing my research. And then I saw him at an event I covered called Freestyle Session, which is episode 217, Leadership Lessons from Freestyle Session, and I'll link it in the show notes. So you can go ahead and listen to that. But that is how I found out about him. And I thought, oh my goodness, he's been all over the place. I didn't know it was him. So I knew it was him, but I didn't know it was him, if that makes sense. But what wonderful insights and encouragement and inspiration that I got from our conversation. I'm really excited to share that with you. Before we get into this session with the fantastic B-Boy Crumbs, I want to invite you to go to my Instagram, Annette Bone, A-N-N-E-T-T-B-O-N-E. And if you're interested in getting information and resources that I don't share on social media, I only share it with people that are on my email list, then send me a DM with your email and I'll know to add you. So it's totally free and it's different thoughts and different things that I talk about with mindset and productivity and business and different things that I just don't share on social media. So if you're interested in that, send me a direct message just with your email. You don't have to put anything else and I'll know that it's you. I'll know that it's for the, for this purpose because you listen to this episode. So so let's go ahead and get into this session with B-Boy Crumbs and I know you'll get a lot out of it. You have to check out all of his content. He has some incredible stuff and has had incredible stuff for years and years and years And there is a reason too why uh, when I told a friend of mine that I was going to be interviewing him, he said, actually, two of my friends said, oh my goodness, he's a legend. Yes, he is. (laughs) He's amazing. So let's go ahead and get into session number 221 with the incredible B-Boy Crumbs. Thank you so much for joining me. Now that you're warmed up, get ready to go full out with our feature presentation. Champions do not become champions when they win the event, but in the hours, weeks, months, and years they spend preparing for it. The victorious performance itself is merely the demonstration of their championship character, a quote by T. Allen Armstrong. My accomplished guest today is no stranger to winning events. At the time of this recording, his most recent win is his sixth world title from Freestyle Session. 
He holds the most titles in the history of this event that happens worldwide, featuring some of the best dancers in hip hop. His remarkable winning streak started early on, accumulating over 100 first place titles before the age of 25. He continued on to working with some of the biggest names in the entertainment industry, such as Justin Timberlake, Missy Elliott, Christina Aguilera, and the Black Eyed Peas, to name a few, as well as being featured in movies, commercials, and fulfilling a bucket list dream of being a main character on the Sony PlayStation game B-Boy. He is also the CEO and founder of the dance athletic lifestyle brand called Six Step Inc. And although he's based currently out of Atlanta, Georgia, he continues to be sought out from all over the world as a dancer, a choreographer, an educator, and a judge. If you're in the Atlanta, Georgia area, go check out his breaking classes at Crumbs Dance Academy. And if you're not, I still recommend you check out more about him at his site, bboycrumbs.com. That's B-B-O-Y-C-R-U-M-B-S.com. So without further ado, I am so honored and so excited to bring on B-Boy Crumbs. Oh my gosh, Crumbs, how are you doing today? (laughs) Doing great. Great to be on here with you. Oh my gosh. You know, I love it. Thanks for the support. Really appreciate it. Oh, of course. I'm all about the dancer. I'm all about the creative. I feel like there is, um, there's not enough to bring to light the artistic journey, the journey of a dancer, particularly, and the mindset and what it takes to, to thrive in this. I don't want to necessarily call it an industry. It's more of an art form because you can be in a different kind of industry, but still be an artist, still be a dancer. Um, I don't think that industry necessarily defines you. And I want to talk a little bit about that because I know you've had some things to say about that in your career. But I kind of want to go a little bit back with a little bit of context from, you know, from the past. Uh, first thing I want to mention is, um, you know, off off camera and offline, we were talking about how you've been all over the place and I've seen you, but I didn't know it was you until I went to Freestyle Session and then as mm. I as I was going through the footage um, of the things that I had missed, because you couldn't be one, you couldn't be everywhere at one time. There's so much going on at that event. Right. So I was like, oh, my gosh, I, how did I not know him? <laughs> you know, how he's such this this amazing, you know, person and an artist in the public eye. But, you know, being out of dance and stuff, you just miss things. Right. First thing I want to mention to you is um, I think this is so funny coming full circle because I actually interviewed. I know you were in the movie. You got served. You were featured quite a bit in that movie. I love that movie. I was watching that movie when I wasn't dancing. And I actually, when I started back in dance again in 2014, a little bit after that, I actually interviewed Chris Jones. He's episode number eight in. Oh, nice. I got to go back and watch that. He was the nicest guy. I was like, I went to take a master class of his um, in Torrance and there were maybe three of us in the, that was it. Like I would think, well, I thought that people would want to take from someone that's, you know, in the end, but you just don't know. I mean, you just don't know. So I ended up talking to him after and I thought, I wonder if he would be on my podcast. And I had just started. I, that was episode eight. And so um, it was really interesting talking about how he started off his career and how he grew up in showbiz and that kind of thing. So it was just a natural part of him. So with your journey, um, I understand you did grow up in a military family. Yeah, was raised in Panama. And um, stayed there till the age of 10. So I kind of got to live that, I call it the jungle lifestyle, you know, dirt roads, and, you know, middle class family, you know, 
dad was in the Air Force and, and my mother was a teacher out there too. And my grandmother, my mom, some of my mom's side lived in Panama already. My grandmother, my great grandparents on her side and all that. So it was really cool um, growing up there. I remember my school, I had like, the whole school was like 50 students total through all the grades, you know, like, so it's very small, everything very small, but it was awesome. And then moved to California at 10 and then experienced the other side of, you know, life, the world and what it is. So I'm upbringing. I also grew up, my dad was in the army. So I, I was excited to find out that commonality because we can talk from, uh, you know, from having a military dad. And I was wondering mm-hmm. if that affected how you approached anything, like looking back, like now, you know, your the discipline and the habits that you cultivated in, in, in accomplishing what you have so far. And I know you're, you're far from being done, but do you feel like growing up in a military family that that informed how you approach things? Because I know, and from what, if I'm understanding correctly too, you've always been the kind of person where I, you know, if I'm interested in something, I'm going to take it on and I'm going to, I'm going to get this, I'm going to master it and I'm going to do whatever it takes to do that. Do you think that comes from growing up in a military family or do you think that was just, that's just part of your personality? What would you say about that? Yeah. I don't know if it's that. I, I think more it's just, kind of like you're you're born with some type of I don't even know what the word is I could say you know passion stubbornness uh, you know just wanting to be the best at what you're doing type of thing and I think growing up in Panama helped out a lot with that because there wasn't like so many distractions you know it, it's it's just different than it is in the states and and you can focus more on you know, whatever it is that you're doing and, you know, put all your passion and time and hard work into it. It's a little bit easier. So growing up there, I I took that with me when I came to California and it helped me when I found breaking to, you know, just easily put that same energy into breaking and and work ethic and stuff. So that's what I would say. My environment and where I grew up probably the most. It's always easy to say, well, if I knew back then what I know now, do you feel that you would say that looking back at what you've gone through? Or I feel like things happen the way that they're supposed to happen and you learn lessons. But what would you say about looking back? And and you've accomplished so much. So is there anything you would say looking back that have has come to light in terms of, you know, just reflecting? I mean, you know, obviously we can't change what has happened, but would you say anything about that? Again, just, you know, the way that I was raised in Panama is just I I, I can't uh, differentiate how it is being raised here because I wasn't raised here so but I know you know most of my friends are raised here so I can kind of measure it like that you know not to say that I'm better than them or they're better than me it's not that you just you could see differences you know and and some qualities that they may have from being raised in the states that I don't have and qualities I have being raised in Panama that they don't have, you know, but ultimately I feel that it did help me in specific areas to my career from, you know, from my past. Absolutely. Before breaking, I was also excited to find out about the whole experience with Roller King and Rexing mm. because, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was into that too. I mean, not I was into roller skating and I actually wanted to be 
a professional roller skater and ice skater back then before I discovered dance. Yeah. So I was like, oh my gosh. And I, and when you were talking about like, you know, every weekend having those sessions that were available and then dancing after that, and that this was before your, you know, your foray into breaking and it becoming an obsession. And then you being done with that phase of your life, then going into breaking and all that time, whatever time you could steal away from school, you know, like during your recess breaks at school, during lunch and all that practicing. And it, you know, I call it a magnificent obsession. Like when you're so, you know, enthralled, it it is a such a magnificent obsession. It could be anything, could be dance or anything, but just, I I so Mm -hmm. resonated when, when you were talking about that on another interview about rexing and roller skating and, and even just at a young age, Mm -hmm. that passion and that approach of wanting to master something. So I was reminded about all this too when at freestyle session, which we'll get into in a little bit about uh, you had also mentioned about selling. Uh, this is actually like going back and forth a little bit later, selling VHS tapes around the world. When you, <laughs> so I saw there oh, was yeah. a there was a, a vendor at freestyle session that had a, just an array of VHS tapes. They were playing something on one of the older TVs. Yeah, the TVs, and I'm like. I didn't know that this existed. Like I saw be- the stuff that was familiar to me, like Beat Street and Breaking and that kind of thing. But there was other stuff too that I had never seen. Like I didn't realize there was such a library of. There's a huge market in the 90s. Huge. Yeah. And, and that's how we made the bulk of our money. Like we got paid to perform and, and if we won competitions and teaching and all that stuff. But the bulk of our money came from those VHS tapes. Like we would literally, like, say if we got a gig in Japan, we literally go with like a hundred VHS tapes of our of our crew videos and stuff like that, and sell them for like fifty dollars a piece, and they'd sell out in like ten minutes. You know, so you add it up, a hundred times fifty, that's way more than we were making for the show. You know, and then YouTube came and killed that. So, <laughs> you know. It was a good run while it lasted. Yeah. But you learned a lot about what people want, what what attracts people in terms of, you know, what they're looking for, as well as, you know, the business aspect of it, which I'm sure has played also part in your in your um, athletic lifestyle brand, as well as your um, your dance academy. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah. I'll point one thing to just to add on to that mm-hmm. with the VHS tapes, you know, when we were coming up. The only thing we had to watch was Beat Street, you know, the the movies that were out. There weren't any like underground breaking videos, really, unless you got some luckily from a friend, some crew practice in another country or a competition in another country, which was very rare. But for, for people to create whole professional videos of their crew and good editing and music overdubbed and you know that's how how we did our videos it wasn't really happening you know so we didn't have that kind of stuff to look at but always we would hear about events like it was just you know word of mouth it goes from one person to another to another to another you know you heard it through the grapevine they talk about yo this crew they came to this event and they did this and then he did this move and this move they describe every detail so you visualize it in your head but you never really get to see it you just hear about it so we just made it a point to make sure we bring our video cameras to everything we do, document it all so people didn't have to hear about it. They could see it for themselves, you know. So us and Rocksteady Crew, we're a big part of that VHS video 
change in the the breaking community worldwide. So it went from just hearing to actually seeing what happened, you know, documenting it. So yeah, those were huge. They were they were really big. Yeah, yeah. Little did you know that you were you were starting early before YouTube. I mean, this is like this is the the pre you know evolution of YouTube and all yeah. that and stuff. So that's definitely I know that that's played in your favor, even though you know the VHS thing. Although. I'm sure people would pay big money knowing how valuable. Oh yeah. No, now I'm, I'm, we're going to be reprinting and you know, all that stuff is, you know, like they have the NFT thing going on and all this new technology, new things happening in the world. Like it's going to come back. Like people are going to want to buy those original VHS tapes and just, just to have it for a memorabilia, they're classics, you know? So to have that actual, you know, with the cover and the VHS with the label and everything like that's, you know, it's priceless for some people that really love breaking, you know, it's, they want that in their library for sure. So yes. it, yeah, we're going to be selling that and DVDs again and all that stuff, reprinting, you know, it'll, it'll come back. Oh my gosh. There's, I know there's so much gold within that, that people have, have no idea to have that repurposed again. People are going to be like, it's like when you see old footage of dancers that you had no idea that were pioneers of the form or whatever form it is, whether it's yeah. breaking or tap or, you know, I see old footage and I'm like, Oh my gosh, that they were ahead of their time. I mean, obviously the quality, you know, it's older in the twenties and thirties and that kind of thing, but the essence of the art is not lost. And I think that's the biggest thing. You know, if you appreciate that, I I've definitely learned to appreciate that coming back to dance. Like, Oh my gosh, there's so much more that I don't know. There's so much more that I didn't appreciate back then that I do now. And I think that's the same that's going to happen with what you what you're going to be doing with some of that content. Yeah. I mean, if you look at in like the 80s, 90s, early 90s, when we buy cassette tapes like music to listen to and, and records, right? The records had beautiful covers and the cassette tapes had covers like that you would open and flip open their like pages of art and like sometimes describing the music and different pictures of the the artists and, and stuff like that. It was just really cool. And it made you feel like, you know, it's just besides listening to the music, which is awesome. You get this whole other artistic side and it, it's something that you can hold on to and see rather than just go to YouTube and just press play, you know, and just hear the music, which is cool. But, you know, having the whole production in your hand and for you and it's your copy, that's different. You know, that's for collectors, real collectors. I'm looking forward to seeing all that because uh, that's it's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. One statement that you had said was that you were not born in a dance studio. You were made in your garage. When you think about mechanic, this, yep. <laughs> do you feel that, I mean, did it bother you that you didn't grow up in a dance studio? Um, you, you see dancers that they grow up in a dance studio and they just, it just kind of, you know, they either, they stay at that studio and they teach and then they might go on to commercial industry work. And it's just kind of this like natural progression, but that wasn't your case. Your, your life has been anything but conventional. So when you when you say that statement, are you more proud of that or what kind of feelings does it evoke, you know, looking back on your career and where you're going? Yeah, well, I mean, it's my path, so I'm super happy with it. And, you know, it, it's not the conventional path for more industry kids. You know, I, I came in, I say like me and my partner, we came in and we bum rushed the industry, you know, like we were undeniable from all our 
you know, everything that we did previously, you know, so the fact that we didn't come up the same route, we had a different kind of edge to us. The fact that we're battlers and we're competing around the world against other best in the world, we're competitors, we're, you know, savages, you know what I'm saying? So there's a difference, like, I'm not trying to knock, you know, studio kids or whatever, but it, it's different, you know. Uh, now it's changing now. Now some studio people are battlers too and stuff like that. But in our era, there were more five, six, seven, eight, and one, two, three, you know, just choreography. They weren't really like freestylers and didn't like, they could catch choreography like that, like nothing, right? But then if you ask them to jump in a cipher, they're probably not going to go out because they're scared, you know? And not, like I said, not to down them. That's just how it was in our era, like in the 90s and stuff like that. Like I said, now it's different. So now if you like, you know, there's, it's so, everything's so evolved now that you have battlers teaching at the studios. So it's a whole different ball game now. So it's beautiful for the people that are coming up now. They're very, very lucky. We didn't have any of that, like all self-taught, you know, which is also good too, because it helped us become the creative people that we are and help the scene look the way it looks today. But, but yeah. I was just rambling about that, but yeah, I'm super proud that we, you know, came up the way we did. And, uh, you know, I don't think it might, might not have been the same if, if we were coming up in the dance studios and stuff. To me, there's a technique to every form, whether it's breaking, locking, popping, there's a technique. It's just, it's just a different technique. And I find it interesting in the dancers that I've talked to that a lot of them are very, very uncomfortable with the whole improvisational freestyle aspect like it really, mm-hmm. it really scares them. It really scares them to think that I don't have a five, six, seven, eight phrase that I can just, you know, bust out. And so, um, yeah, I was even when I got back into dance, I was scared of it too. Like, oh my gosh, I, I don't, I don't have anything. But then, as you, you know, like anything, you get used to, and then you find your own feeling into it. You know, is is you really, really yeah. the essence of you when you're when you're in that mode and you allow yourself to be in that mode, you know, which I find it really just fascinating that there's a lot of people that are very, very uncomfortable with that. But it's also a very vulnerable place too. I mean you have to really just it let is. yourself go, you know? Mm-hmm. So now I say yeah, you have to you have to jump in the fire, you know, and just even if you suck, you know, you just <laughs> just go in there and do your thing and, and progressively it's repetition progressively you get better and better when we came to the entertainment industry of course on the freestyle tip it was over we were specialty acts like we came to blow it up and that's exactly what we did but it was we were still trying the choreography and trying to learn the routines and stuff like that and it wasn't until and you know at first we were not catching on like them at all because that's what they did their whole lives you know it took us a little bit longer but we kept at it kept at it Next thing you know, we're doing the routines with the, those dancers and doing our solos and stuff like that. You know, so it's the same thing. You just got to jump in and, and do it and repetition and be comfortable with it. It takes time. It definitely takes time. And it you just have to do it and be like you said, be OK with falling on your face, looking foolish. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, art is so subjective. But would you say that um, being in Style Elements crew? with you know the camaraderie would you say you were all on the yeah as we're recording this he's wearing this cool shirt anyway just just to let you know out there for representing style elements crew which is you know huge history just going back you know what is it 20 28 years this uh in 2022 right are you guys celebrating 
20, is it 28 years? Something yeah, like yeah that? it is a 28th, yep. Would you say that through your time together with them, were you always on the same page on how you approached different battles, different events, different performances, or was there, did you have to work through any conflicts? Usually, you know, with a group, you have, you know, your, you have a plethora of personalities and energies. How did you all make that work so that you could be, you know, cohesive when you were going into what you were going into? Took a lot of compromise. I'll try to make it short because it can get very long. But the era that we came up in breaking, breaking crews, kind of the individuals in the crew, they all dance the same. They all break the same. So it's like you have a lot of the same style, the same people. It's just a crew of them, right? We weren't like that at all. Everybody was their own individual with own creative, individual, distinct styles. And we made it a point not to break like each other. So what we say is like, you know, if you remember the cartoon from the 80s, Voltron, that's kind of how we reference our crew. Like everybody has their piece, arm, arm, leg, leg, body, head. And we just form. And then it's really hard to beat us, you know, because everybody stands their ground in their areas. And there's just too much to, to beat, you know, rather than a crew that kind of does the same thing. So mentally, the moves, the styles, the flows, everything was different and the ideas were different. So everybody has their own ideas. Coming up with shows was tough. But when we sit down and, you know, dissect and this is good. Yeah, like that idea that works. That doesn't work. Throw that out. Boom. We did that a lot. And then, you know, it all comes together at the end of the day through through compromise. But it is tough when you have a lot of chefs, you know, in the kitchen. But then it also comes out really great, too, at the end, if you do it the right way and everybody's on the same page and you have the same goal. Yeah, that's kind of how we, you know, made our shows and and competing, which routines we're going to do, which ones we're not. Yeah, it was pretty much like that. So then um, mentoring California, did you feel like your experience in Style Elements Crew helped with that? Do you feel like that was a role that you eased into because of dealing with all that? What would you say about that? Yeah, it was seamless, really easy. You know, the fact that these younger guys in California were, you know, watching us coming up. And so they kind of already understood the mindset, the blueprint, and they studied us and, and they already had their own thing going on, too. Right. So when I came in and started, you know, helping out, it was super easy because we already were breaking together also because I had moved to L.A. and that California is from the L.A. area and uh, we were already practicing together all the time anyway. So it was a very easy transition. And yeah, when I came on board, it just, you know, helped out a lot more than they were already good, but it just took it over the top, I would say, with the mindset and choreography routines battle routines and and just some battle strategies you know knowing uh, who to send out when to send them out like there's a science in this battle world you know a lot of people just kind of go in blind and hope for the best but you're not going to get far like that you know it takes a lot of good smart strategy along with with the skills you know so I, i help bring a lot of that battle strategy to the table i would say Oh, I'm excited to get into that. I have another question before that because we're talking about crews. I also discovered mm-hmm. I did not know that you danced with antics. 
Yeah, Amy. <laughs> yeah, yep. I had Amy on the show as well. So yeah, awesome. I yeah, and Tin is, Tin Wen is a good friend of mine as well as Emory Bernardo, yeah. who I've had on the show four great, times. Great he's a, he, yeah, he's a great friend of mine. So I'm yeah. like, how did I not know? <laughs> it's just all you know, like we were talking about. But anyway, antics. So how did you get involved in antics? Okay, so my crewmate at the time, Machine, he was dancing with antics, and and he brought me in. He introduced me to Amy and. You know, and I just started doing shows with them. And I was always in L.A. I always like before Antics, I was in a group called Groovaloos. Like we started Groovaloos in like 98, 99 uh, with Bradley Rapier and, you know, a lot of other dancers. And we, we did so many shows in L.A., you know, did, did a lot. And so I always liked being I have my crews, you know, Style Elements, California. That's like the battle world and, and shows, too. But then also these other groups like Groovaloos and Antics were a different type of, of show where you can mesh with different styles of dancers and put on different kind of performances. And I always like that as well. I always like to be a part of a group like that. So when Machine brought me over to Antics, it reminded me of Groovaloos. And I was like, oh, perfect. I already know this. You know, so it just like fit right away. And and I had fun doing shows with them. So it was good for me. With mentoring, what we were talking about with California and stuff and you teaching your students right now through your, your breaking academy, mm-hmm. what would you say? Actually, let me go back to this one statement where you had said something about you having an, a complex, unorthodox approach to the art of breaking. So if it's complex and unorthodox, how do you simplify that to your students so that they get it? Because they might want things simplified how how does that translate in your teaching process what i usually tell them is you know the basics and the fundamentals are are key obviously right but once you understand the basics and the fundamentals you don't have to do them exactly the way that everybody does it right so i just tell them to have a complex unorthodox approach think that way so you got to dissect the moves and and dissect the patterns and pull them apart and then piece them back together like a doctor in different ways than it was originally given to you. You know, a lot of stuff isn't going to work. Some stuff could be gold. You know, you just have to try different techniques, different patterns. You have to try different ideas with all the basics. And once you can do that with the basics, then with your own creative moves, you can flip it a hundred different ways. You know, that's how I've stayed relevant. Like that's one of the reasons why I've stayed relevant for so long is because I'm able to take my classic signature moves and do them completely different than I did them last year, every single year. So those moves never get old, you know, and as well as always creating new content and stuff like that. So that's kind of how I explain it to them, just dissecting the, the, the fundamentals at first and playing the different ways to put it together and perform them and uh, start from there. And that helps spark the creative mind for sure. Well, I love that you went, that you emphasize the importance of basics and foundation and fundamentals, because without that, I mean, you could have all this fancy stuff around it, but if Mm -hmm. there's no foundation to hold that, then you know, what, what things can either look messy or, and especially with breaking, I'm also thinking of injury prevention too. If you don't know how the transitions work, you could hurt yourself. I mean, that's with any kind of movement. I've, you know, I've learned in the last couple of years, like 
I want to know what the transitions are so I can protect myself and that I can, uh, once I get the basics down, then I can, I can play with that a little bit more. So I love what you said about that. Do you feel like your students appreciate that or do they, or do you get ones that say, well, I just teach me like the fancy stuff or teach me how to do that. Do they embrace the idea, your philosophy of let's get the basics down. Let's get this foundation down. How, um, how has that been with your students? I would say the majority do, but you know, you teach any teachers out there, they know that you're going to get a plethora of different type of students, you know, with different ways of thinking, different um, goals. And there's a lot that just want to learn the flashy, the big moves. Uh, teach us a head spin. You know, we just want to, we just want to teach us a flip, you know, and uh, they're kind of missing the dance in general. They're not really focused on the well-rounded aspect of the art form. They just want to get the blow-ups, you know, so they can make the crowd go crazy and stuff, right? You're always going to get those. And that's fine. That's fine, too. When I teach, like, a lot of times when I'm traveling different countries and stuff, I'll have I'll do a workshop when I'm at an event, you know, for a weekend, I'll do a, do an event and then the next day do a workshop. And I'll, sometimes I'll have like 50, 60 students from ages from seven to like 50, you know what I mean? 50 years old, beginners, intermediate and advanced all in the same class. So, and you have to make it work for all of them. So for me doing that for so long, it's helped me become a better teacher uh, because it's really difficult to do that, to make everybody happy in the classroom with that many people, different levels and different ages, you know? So I can make everybody happy by giving the advanced people advanced ways of doing what I'm teaching and, you know, the beginners, a beginner way of doing what I'm teaching. So I know how to flip that pretty well but it is difficult you know and you do get all different types of students and it, it it's not easy you know any teachers that that do that they know it's rough and then you are going to get people that that just want the the blow-ups and stuff and you know we'll show them we'll show them something here work on this and you know get them going and then get back to the other side of class and so it's almost like you're teaching four or five different classes in one class. It's a lot of energy and a lot of focus <laughs> to do that to accommodate oh, yeah. an open level class, like especially with uh, with mm -hmm. breaking where there's there's such intricacies that can, you know, that can happen. And then the very basic, but even the very basic stuff is difficult, like to get the very basic in a very, you know, strong foundation is very, um, the little breaking that I've done before, you know, when I got into dance, I'm like, I got to build my upper body strength. I got to get stronger first before I even try any of this. So yeah, yeah. core got to have a strong core. Yeah. So speaking of training and having a strong core and uh, let, let's, let's tie this into freestyle session, your recent title that you mm -hmm. won for the sixth time more than anybody, which is just amazing. And your journey to that. So you documented your journey, which I'll link in the show notes. Everybody should see that. It's pretty um, uh, interesting. Oh my gosh. It just, there's so many lessons within that. Obviously, the, you know, the, the athleticism of breaking and, you know, what you did and what you did to prepare for that, that's very obvious and very cool to watch. There's several things that got me about that, watching that after seeing, you know, the, um, the battle and then, you know, not, not seeing it in person, but seeing it and then uh, going to your journey and then some of the things you said. And one of the things that stuck out to me is that someone had asked you about the um, Olympics and whether you were going to be 
part of the mm -hmm. you know the breaking mm -hmm. event in the Olympics. Yeah. And you were like, no, I would, but people think that 30 is old. And I, I really appreciated how you were just kind of matter of fact about that. And, and um, just like, oh, I'm old. You didn't have that attitude or that demeanor, like, oh my gosh, I'm too old. And, and that's what I got from, you know, watching some of your things. It's not like, you know, I'm old and I can't do this. No, this is just my age at the moment. This is what I do. This is who I am. Yeah. And I so, has, so appreciate that. Do, right. It has nothing to do with me or thinking I'm old or, or whatever, because I don't. It's just the public perception that trumps what people my age are able to do and not do because of requirements or whatever their thought process is or the rules, you know, or whatever, or who they pick or any of those things, you know, and I'm by watching the Olympics, I know because I'm watching it and I don't see anybody over 30, you know, so that tells me that they don't, you know, they're not looking for anybody over 30. Like a good example is skateboarding just got accepted into the Olympics and they actually had their first run at this past one and that just happened. And everybody was like 12, 13 years old, you know, and the oldest was probably like 25, 24. And that was it, you know, and I personally, like, I know some of the best skaters in the world because I've watched them and none, none of them were there, you know, so it's, it just, you know, that tells me everything. So that's why I said that, you know, to my uh, chiropractor. Because yeah, it's just it is it's one of those it is what it is type of things. You know, it's not that I'm not capable, it's not that I don't want to. Yeah, totally I would. But the odds are getting in is are not in my favor. You know, I'm a realist. That struck me. And also you had mentioned about not in the not in this, not in your um your journey to freestyle session, but in something else you had also said that in the entertainment industry, what they see they see an age on paper. And just that Same automatic, thing. yeah, that automatic, it's not ability, it's not, you know, anything else, talent, anything, it's that number. And so mm -hmm. um, I just, I why just do you think, think so many people lie. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying, why do you think so many people lie about their age in the industry? That's why. I didn't even think about you that. Know? Like, I wouldn't, I, I don't know, I would never even think about that. That's just so, I don't know, that, that just seems so weird to be so like wanting to do that, that you would lie about your age that way. Uh, anyway, that's a, that's another discussion. But anyway, mm -hmm. with the, okay, so also with the entertainment industry, I'll, I'll talk about this. And then we'll go back to the, the freestyle session thing where um, I loved what mm -hmm. you said about this. You said the entertainment industry doesn't define me, my artistry does. Of course. And um, I know that, you know, you've been you've taken a break from it by choice. And so you want to come if you were to come back into that, you know, the industry entertainment aspect of it, it'll be on your terms. Right. So I, j I think that it's awesome to see an example of someone that is not defined by circumstances to do their art to do what fuels them. I, because I know for a lot of people, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, if I'm not an in and, and it was certainly the case for me, which is why I quit. I'm not an industry dancer. I don't look this way. I don't dance this way. So therefore, I'm not validated as an artist. So what would you yeah, say? Which is, yeah, which is just like, it's such a, a not a good way to think because it, it does things to your psyche, you know? What would you say to someone if you were, you know, again, with the mentoring thing, someone comes to you and said, you know, crumbs, I am not, you know, I don't fit into this like industry entertainment thing. But I, you know, I want to do what you do and I want to do, you know, I want to express myself through breaking or whatever. What would you say to them? What kind of adv advice would you give to them? Well, if they wanted to 
go in the entertainment industry with their art, they wanted to go that route, I would tell them to absolutely go for it because even though they're different, you know, you can still make a splash and, and being different is like I was saying earlier, it's more of a specialty act type of thing. So you're one of one. They're a hundred thousand of a hundred thousand, you know. So that's great, but that's not the real problem. The real problem is the structure of the industry, which is a whole nother podcast in itself. You know, <laughs> it, the way that it is, it is there's a ceiling, you know, and once you hit that ceiling, there's nowhere else to go because in a way you're being held there, you know, and it is what it is. Just like uh, how artists have ghostwriters, you know, they write their lyrics and stuff like that. And, you know, everybody thinks it's the artist creating all this magnificent art. It's the same thing in the entertainment industry with dance, you know, like uh, for 18 years, I was creating content and choreography and all this stuff. And I think I got credit maybe once, you know, throughout that whole time. So what it does is it makes the other person look like a genius and they get the big checks the next big job and you're still fighting to get in a position that they're in you know so not to go deep into it but it, it's it's kind of cut it's very cutthroat not kind of cutthroat and you know at, at some point you get tired of it you know it's it becomes disrespectful and you know i personally didn't want to keep getting disrespected. I wanted credit for my art. I wanted to get, you know, paid accordingly for the work that I'm doing because I'm not just coming in and doing solos. I'm actually creating this stuff. And sometimes the other choreographer isn't doing anything. They're just sitting back and watching it all unfold, you know, facts. And um, yeah, when you're young, you look past that stuff. You're like, I don't care. I just want to be on the big screen, you know? But as you get older, it's like, oh, okay, I see where this is going. And it just doesn't doesn't change. And then you're replaceable. You know, there's new people coming in all the time. So if you don't want to work anymore, fine, get out of here. You got somebody else new, another creative person. And then they kind of do the same thing over and over. So that was one of the reasons why I stepped away for a little bit. But I, I still do work in the industry, but it's just like kind of like, people that I've been working with for already for a long time. Like I still do shows and I'll do work with them and I'm willing to do anything that I'm comfortable doing as long. So like I said, if I'm respected and it's on my terms now, I'm not a young kid in the game anymore. I paid my dues. I've done all that. So I think I deserve that. Oh, so yeah. I would say, yeah, for people, for people coming in, you know, if you're younger, just go in there and try to make a big impact and what you're doing and you know same thing if you're comfortable then keep doing it at some point if you feel like you're being used or you're, you're just not feeling it anymore you can always step out step away so it's one of those things an individual journey that you have to take upon yourself in order to truly understand it thank you for sharing that and being so you know transparent about um, the reality of it because it, it does look like you know you see stuff on screen and you see people doing certain things and you think wow like it's all so glamorous and just you know all that which you know it, it, it there's a certain aspect it, that it is but behind that there's a lot that goes on and 
bottom line, no matter what you do, it takes work. It takes focus. It takes um, mm-hmm. perseverance. It takes tenacity, which, you know, you've done in your career and, and chroni- cro- the chronicle up to um, freestyle session. But before we go back into that, I did have another question, actually, since we're talking about industry work and commercial and stuff is um, what would you say about the status, if there is a status about your movie pilot, Enter the B-Boy back in 1999? The status on it? Oh, yeah. Of, of it? coming to fruition yes ah i mean yeah it, it's tough it's tough because it takes money you know to to make a movie and something like that is is very special you know it's it's a great piece of work and we did a trailer for it obviously back way back in 1999 and and everybody just went crazy about it it's a, a b-boy martial arts film that we were trying to produce and so we were trying to get funding for it for now decades, you know, uh, maybe we didn't, we didn't approach it correctly because we're not, that's not what we do. We, we're, you know, the artist and all that. So funding and all this stuff really isn't our cup of tea. Yeah. So I mean, making a long story short, hopefully we will make it happen some, someday and put it out because it is a beautiful project. And if I had to bet on it, I would say, yeah, it will happen. You know, I just don't know when. Yeah, maybe after like the Olympics run and it starts to blow up a little bit more, we'll have a lot better chance. Yeah, I saw the trailer and I was like, you were ahead of your time again in 1999. Like what you guys did mm-hmm. for that, even that trailer. I mean, obviously the quality is different 99 to now, but just, yeah. you know, again, I saw the essence of the the essence and the energy and the artistry and the creativity of the work. And with technology now bringing that to light, it just, I can see how amazing it could be. So I think it'll be timely when you, when you do do that, when you embark upon that. So yeah, I wanted to ask about that. because oh, yeah. I, I wasn't sure if that was, you know, if you were still, if that was something still in the, you know, in the toolbox to be developed, oh, you know, it would be something that even if it didn't like blow up right away, it would be a cult classic because it is so far from all the dance movies ever made. It's so far left that people would just appreciate as a breath of fresh air like oh damn this is something like it's always the same concept the street <laughs> dancer falls in love with the studio dancer you know over and over and over and over and over you know so to have something like i guess for all ages you know like for adults would go and watch that and appreciate it and be like oh this is different this is you know this is crazy and um to actually with the dancing and the breaking and the moves no cgi no wires no none of that just physical bodies and 100 percent authentic raw dancing and also with you know how in move dance movies and music videos it's always like cut 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 they only show like two seconds of the dance and then cut to something else no like leaving it in its entirety you know maybe switch angles but leaving it so you see the artistry you know if you you take an artist and you just see two seconds of their painting or a little like one fourth of their painting. It's like you don't really get to see the, the picture. You know, that's how I look at it. That's why it's hard for me to watch dance movies, even the ones I'm in. Like I've only seen them like once or twice, you know, because it's really tough because it gets frustrating. But that's how they view a dance movie should be. So when we make ours, it's going to be totally different. No. Like I said, based on that trailer, I thought, oh my gosh, if he decides to go further with this, I know it's going to be an incredible 
work of art. So I'm excited to see how, you know, when that oh, happens. And, and it's going to be awesome to see that. Back to Freestyle Session and leading up to the event and your training and, you know, you finding out about, you know, that category of over 40 and all that kind of stuff, which is, you know, beside the point of what the category is and all that. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't like how they worded that. You know, yeah. Like it put a different word, but you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and it, I just love that, uh, that how you are just so like, you know, that it's just what it is, but that doesn't define like my ability and my capability, my approach, my artistry, which I, I just, just such a, like, it's a breath of fresh air and it's so needed. Mm in our world that it's really, I mean, age, you know, I say it all the time, age is just a number. It's so mindset. And so what you do, it's your habits, your discipline, you know, your productivity. And so with your yeah. training, were you always cross training with the swimming and uh, the running? I know you, you lift weights a lot. Did you do that even before? I know you did that before the competition, but in your breaking um, training and career, even with the crews that were, you were in, were you always cross training or did you discover that along the way? It's recent. Like, I never would lift weights at all. Never my whole career. Maybe running, but that's about it. Like majority of my career was just breaking. Because honestly, breaking gives you everything. You got cardio, you got the strength and conditioning. It's all in one, right? So I didn't need to do any of that. Well, age is just a number, but I've been doing this for almost 30 years nonstop at a high level. So you got to respect your body and understand what things are wearing down, the shoulders wearing down, different issues. You got to watch out for this because you don't want to have surgeries and you want to avoid all that stuff and prolong your career. You know, so it came to a point where I couldn't break six times a day because it's rough on the body, you know, and, and it breaks you down. So I had to find other ways to stay in shape than just breaking. So I incorporated all of that to save my body because breaking does do a number on your body for sure so yeah in my younger younger years and you know in all in my 30s i never did anything else besides breaking and running but now i'm mixing in more stuff with the swimming it's easier on the joints and you know and weight lifting weights not heavy weights or anything like that it's more light it's just to build a good frame you know, so to prevent injuries, you know, because if you're brittle, you're brittle, you're more prone to get hurt, you know, got to strengthen those ligaments and all around it with the muscles to protect them. So yeah, that's all new. That's all recent. Past Interesting. Years. Interesting. So then that's one strategy that you have incorporated in your training. And also you had talked about strategy in breaking for battles. So has mm. your strategy changed then over the years? And what was your strategy going into freestyle session? Well, my strategy for, for this recent freestyle session was it's always to break people down, you know, and sometimes it's hard to do that because um, there's not a lot of rounds, you know, like if you notice, like the I think the first in the top 16, it was like one round, you know, and then it goes to like two rounds and then the final was like three rounds. So when you have three rounds, that's better because you can break somebody down. You know, when it's one round, it's tough for a lot of different reasons. And I can I can tell you coming from my perspective because and I'm not trying to like brag or anything. I'm just being honest. Because I'm a champion and because I've won it 5 times and what I've done in my career, I'm a target. So, it's harder for me. People think it's easier, but it's the hardest 
for people like me because everybody is going to give me their absolute best. Whereas somebody else can kind of coast in a battle and like, oh, this guy's whatever. I'm going to like, I'm not going to waste anything and, and beat him and move on to the next round. I don't have that. I'm getting everybody knows like when they, you know, if they battle somebody like me who, who, who wins more than they loses, it could be the end for them. So they're going to give me a final battle. Right. So, so almost every battle is a final battle for me. So there's not like, I can't really take it easy. I can't like do easy sets or easy freestyles and whatnot. So when in those one rounders, you know, it, it's better to have them come out first so I can evaluate, you know, what they're doing and how hard I have to go. But it's not always like that because they know that too. So it could be a stalemate and then you know, who's going to go out first. And so I don't like waiting. So if that happens, I just, I'll, I'll go out, you know, and, and I'll have to like go hard because I know they're going to give me their best. So I have to come ready with at least 10 final battle rounds, you know, in preparation. That's my strategy, you know, in any of those battles that are more rounds. If I see my opponent does like, you know, messes it up or does whatever, then that's my opening to do a maybe easier round to win it rather than waste something I can do in the final battle. You know, there's a lot that goes into it. <laughs> you know, there's so many different angles and so many things that can happen, but being aware of all the situations and also being able to flip it on the spot to detect it, understand it, and then react. That's the thing. A lot of people can't react on the spot. You know, they know what's happening, but the reaction is is a different thing, right? So it's preparation, you know, when you're training to put yourself in those situations by yourself, you know, and just imaginary somebody there. Sometimes, you know, you have your partners that, that'll battle against you and, you know, you grind stones and go back and forth like that. But a lot of the times I don't have that. So I have to do it solo. Just putting yourself in the fire and create these different situations that may happen in the battles. That way, when they do happen, you've already been there and you know what to do. Yeah. So I don't know if that makes sense. There's a lot of different, you know, elements to that, but because there is a lot. But yeah, that's that. My strategy was just to evaluate and react. And the preparation helped me do that. If you didn't do the cross training, do you think that that would have? I mean, you've been in, in it so long, but did you notice that the cross training really helped? With all of that, it's a little too early to say, you know. Yeah, I, I think so. With with cardio wise and all that, but then you know, in some areas it it hurts, you know, because you some you know you get a little bigger and your maybe flexibility isn't as good, you know, you get a little stiffer. But then you know that's when it's like, okay, let me start incorporating some yoga now. Let me get my flexibility back. It's a never-ending process of trying to figure things out, you know. And that's what I do. I just blend formulas, see what works, see what doesn't work, and you know, stick to what does. And uh, right now, so far, so good. But I can see the the negatives and positives. Well, I think it's great that you have an awareness of that, and that you're able to, that you give yourself space to adjust because I think in different seasons, I mean, you were training differently, very differently now than you did before for this particular competition. Um, and it, there's a lot of mindset things that you got to get straight in your head, whether you're preparing for the battle, 
when you're in the battle, when you're assessing, like you said, the way that you respond or react. I mean, it's there's so many moving parts to it that it can be kind of overwhelming. So thinking about that, was there ever any competition before this that you won, but you felt differently? Like, oh, I thought I would feel different or that victory wasn't as sweet as I thought it would be. Has there ever been any experience like that where it was kind of opposite? Of course. I mean, because, you know, a lot of us can be perfectionists, you know, even though nothing's perfect. When we see what we do in the training room and when you're at your best in the training room and that doesn't translate to the actual battle or the show or whatever it may be, and you still get a victory, that's great. But you know, like that really, I could have done so much better than that. You know, there were moments in, in freestyle session, this past one where, where I felt like that, you know, because there's different factors, but one of the main thing is, you know, when you're battling and then you have to stop and wait for two hours and then battle again and then stop and wait for two hours, that's not a good way to to do the battles, in my opinion. But they have to do that because there's so many different battles going on that they have to run through it all. They can't just focus on one category, you know. But in a perfect world, it would be just have our category battle it all the way till the finish and then move on that would be the best for the dancers because you don't get warmed up and then cold and then you got to warm up again and get cold so in the semi-final battle i felt flat the whole battle and i just put like no energy and i really had to pull that one out like it was it was tough you know and then the next battle was the final battle and then i was warm for that and and i did great you know so Again, dealing with different factors. It's not always your opponent. It's like you're dealing with so many different elements. And yeah, being a little bit older to warm up and cool down and warm up and cool down multiple times, it's harder than when you're younger. You know, when you're younger, you could just just go and it's fine. You don't even need to warm up. You just go. You know, we never used to stretch. We never used to warm up. We just go out there and battle. You know, now it's different. So. Yeah. Interesting that that also can be applicable to like when you're on set with a movie or a video or something where you're just like expected on the dime to, okay, it's time to film this segment of the movie or this mm -hmm. video. And you're, you're supposed to be like on like right there and you at, might not be warm. At <laughs> yeah. At your best. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very fatiguing, but you know, like you said, you know, that's kind of how it is. So many times. Yeah, so many times on set, like, you know, you're waiting sometimes till two, three in the morning on those all night shoots, haven't done anything all day. And then at two thirty in the morning, we're ready for you. Like ridiculous. And it's the final scene of the movie, like the biggest dance scene or something where you have to do your hardest stuff, you know, but that's just that's the name of the game. That's that's what it is. Yeah. Are you finding then the the uh dance re related, of course, because with your, um, your lifestyle athletic brand, um, is it a nice compliment doing that part of uh, your business and your brand versus the physical part of, you know, the competing and teaching and all that? How did that come about with starting this part of your company and your brand? And uh, what's going on with that? What are your plans? And uh, what, what would you say about that? Like, did you ever think, oh, I'm going to have a lifestyle brand? I'm going to have merch merchandise. I mean, was that something? Uh, did you always want to do that? merchandise yeah we've been we've been doing like going back to the vhs tapes and all that stuff we've been selling merchandise pretty much since the beginning of our crew so yeah that aspect 
but I'd be lying if I said we understood brand and all of that stuff in the 90s because that wasn't a word tossed around back then and it wasn't really having your own companies and stuff like that wasn't even talked about and then it's like the people that did understand that didn't want to tell people about it you know it's like that kind of inside information but you know you got to learn on your own and and over time going through me personally going through everything I've been through and helping other comp so many other companies come up and do well and be successful and just being a part of that and knowing that that's for them you're giving giving I'm always giving I'm always giving I'm giving and it's great it's great to give but then sometimes you got to give to yourself you know what I mean so I once I started understanding that you know all these people all these companies all these movies all these artists that you're giving to and you, you sometimes you think they're going to give something back nine times out of ten they're not going to give anything back but what they agreed on the payment right and that's it but and that's where the buck stops so you got to start betting on yourself you know and once i i understood that that's when i started building my company six step and doing for for me you know building my own company because that's something that's going to be there forever you know and putting stock into that rather than just giving everything away to other people other companies and building their brands up which i'll always do you know i'm not, I'm not saying like i'm not do nothing for no no i always work and i'm down if i love the project i'm down to be on it and all that stuff but i also gotta do for myself because nobody else is gonna do for me but me you know what i'm saying so yeah that's how i i just started you know, putting my merchandise, creating merchandise, T-shirts. Uh, of course, we have a whole library of different videos from the '90s till now. And with the with my dance company, also with Six Step, is a part of the, of you know my my dance studio that I'm going to be opening up in the future, and hopefully a chain of them. You know, if I'm successful, and um, just uh, you know passing on the knowledge to the next generations. And showing them the style elements way of breaking, of course, mixed with all styles and all elements. And uh, yeah, so I'm doing that now. I'm building students up here in, in Atlanta. I just moved here like two years ago. And so far, so good, you know. Um, but we are living in, you know, obviously not to get into the whole COVID thing, but we are living in crazy times. So it's a lot harder than it was pre COVID. But um, you just got to keep. You know, got to keep rolling. And also with the teaching, it's the same thing like in the industry we were talking about. You know, I always taught for other people, other studios, you know, always for same thing, you know. So I took that into my teaching as well and started to build my own students, my own base, my own studio, people that I'm going to see on a regular basis, you know, not just teach for a month or for a day, you know. So it's a lot different. And it, it took it took probably longer for me to understand all this stuff than others because I was so engulfed in wanting to win championships and I was focused on, you know, doing those things and, and building a crazy resume and you know, all that. I think a lot of that it, it's a gift and a curse, you know, because it I did do all that, but at the same time now I'm behind in other areas that I'm trying to catch up on now business-wise. I can 
understand where you're coming from in terms of what you're saying there. Obviously, we all have different journeys and, and you know, the timeline is very different, but you bring this wealth of experience and knowledge that you wouldn't have had. Like if, if all this business stuff was, you know, in play back then or, you know, sooner than you, mm-hmm. than you thought, or, you know, it would be, it would not be what it is today. And the, the fact that besides your, you know, your athletic brand being something that's, you know, will go on just your example and your teaching and everything, just everything about you as an artist and as a person is already, you know, starting this legacy building process. You're all, you're, you've already been passing it on since you've been involved in this, which is, it's just so exciting, you know, to, to observe that, to see someone that has been living this and doesn't realize like the impact that he's made and continues to make is like, it's just really cool to watch. And like, you're a very humble person. That's one thing I got from like watching your stuff and watching freestyle session and just your journey. Like it wasn't about you as this like public figure or like, wow, look at me. I'm doing all these things, which you're doing. You know, it's very commendable. It was very much about this is the process. This is the journey. This is how I train. This is what it takes. This is, these are the obstacles I need to overcome. I'm showing it to you because it's not all, it's lessons and you don't know who's going to get inspired by that. And people all over the world, like beyond what the present and the now and how interesting it is with COVID too, you're figuring it all out. And I think that Mm -hmm. is a true mark of a champion besides the title of, you know, I've won all these, all these things, but I'm living this, I'm living this day to day, moment by moment, these decisions, you you know? So I, you know, I have to commend you on that. I just think it's so awesome. I appreciate (laughs) it. Thank you so much. That's sweet. Yeah. It's, it's not about sticking my chest out and I'm the best. And I won this six times. Of course, you know, I'm proud of that stuff. And, And sometimes you want to let, let it be known because people don't know, you know, like, like you said, you didn't even know who I was, you know. I didn't. Right. <laughs> so it, it's 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 the same for a lot of people. And so once you start to dig and be like, oh, you actually won it six times, like, and that's just that event. You mm-hmm. know what I'm that's there's yeah. so much more to unfold. So sometimes you you have to tell people what you've done, and I try to do that in a non cocky way. You know what I'm saying? Because of course, you know, everybody, we live in a sensitive world and people can be looked at as arrogant and cocky and all that stuff. And I'm really not that. I'm just confident. I'm a competitor. Mm-hmm. I'm a teacher and I'm passionate about what I do. You know, so yeah, I hope that that does come across in, in the videos and stuff like that because I would never want to look like arrogant or anything like that. In your younger years, of course, everybody that's had success is going to come off arrogant. And I was that way. And I learned to change that, you know. So, yeah, I think we, we've all been there. To be a creator, you have to be confident because you got to be confident in your ability to, um, to honor what that is inside and to bring that out. Of course, art is so subjective. It's so, but if you're not confident in yourself, how can you expect other people to be confident in, you know, like if you weren't confident as a teacher, would they listen to you? You know, when you're teaching, if you were like questioning, if you weren't, you didn't show up the way that you did, they wouldn't respect you and they wouldn't want to learn from you. So um, yeah, I think confidence, not like you said, not arrogance, but confidence. So I saw that at freestyle with um, 
with with you, of course, and with some of the other dancers there, there there's a confidence there. But it wasn't an arrogance. It wasn't like oh, yeah. about it wasn't about that. And I think that's what I uh, appreciate. Just um, the little that I've watched in this scene with the um, sportsmanship as well, because it can be very because there's so much energy that it can be almost oh, yeah. like <laughs> you know a lot. But I and like break and breaking breaking competitions are rough. You know, it's not like it's not kumbaya situation around the campfire you know what i'm saying it, it, it can get very disrespectful and like you know but not in a like i'm gonna hit you and touch and type away but it's very it's the closest thing to like boxing or mma that you can get without actually being physical with each other you know that's it's really like i'm here to destroy you and you want to kill me so who's gonna die today you know what i'm saying you know in the competition right it's all you know it's all a picture being painted and and who's gonna come out on top and um yeah it's rough it, it's a rough dance and that's why i think a lot of people shy away from it because it can get too you know i guess confrontational or in your face or you know they, they don't understand that or that scares them you know what i mean but at the end of the day it's usually all love afterwards you know Unless you really like have beef with somebody and, and it's personal. You know, there's a lot of those situations too. But usually in a competition, you go for the throat and then afterwards, win or lose, you respect your opponent. You know, and that's all it is. It's the same thing in fighting. So speaking of love but, yeah. and, you know, all positive things. I have three questions to um, end out our session. Although, I mean, there's so much okay. I would love to talk to you about, but you know, I don't with, you know, I want to be respectful of your time and everything too, but there's three questions I'd like to ask you. One of them is, um, is there a dance style that you haven't tried, but would like to and why? Oh, plenty. All kinds of dance styles. I mean, I, I love all dance, you know, so I would like to try all the different dance styles, right? Usually, when I go to different countries, I will try to seek out the dance style or the dance of that country and at least see it, you know, visual to see it in front of my face. And if I can learn some of it, that's even better. But um, it's great to witness that stuff, you know, in its origins. For me, it means it means more, you know, like I feel like I'm really getting the realness of it, you know. But yeah, I would love to try all dances. I'm not, I'm not closed minded at all. And I know, especially being the type of uh, breaker that I am and with my crew and our mentality, that's how we change the breaking game is by bringing different dance. It's one of the reasons how is how we brought different dance styles into breaking and made it breaking. You know, we take house moves from, you know, house steps and house flows and, turn it into footwork or, you know, take tap moves and, and incorporate that. One quote that was said about us is that we made it legal to be illegal because we did all the stuff that was frowned upon that you're not supposed to do. And we didn't care and we did it and we changed the game for doing that. And now you have all these new styles and breaking that a lot of it is inspired from what we did, what we brought to the game. And now everybody's flipping it, you know? So yeah, always open to different dance styles because that's going to help my dance style. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, there's so much. And even within certain forms, there's like so much that you could do. Like I, I love Indian classical dance. Even within that, there's like 11 different subsects 
of Indian mm. classical dance that I just is just fascinating to me. But uh, yeah, there's so much. Question number two, then speaking of, um, you know, art actually of artists, um, I know you like LL Cool J and Eminem. And uh, I was mm-hmm. wondering if there are other artists or choreographers that you um, are inspired by. Oh, there's so, so many artists. I mean, not just in music or in dance, but in, you know, I'm inspired by like Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee. I'm inspired by uh, like dancers. I could just sit here forever. There's so many, you know, artist wise, you know, uh, there's a lot of hip hop artists from the 90s, from my era that inspired me. And just to touch on it a little bit, it's like in, in the 90s, the hip hop rap, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's a lot different, obviously, than the rap of today, right? Everybody kind of sounds the same and it's, it's a lot more simple. You know, I'm not dissing it, but it's very simple and catchy and just not as creative, right? And the, the, the hip hop artists in the 90s were very technical had different rhythms, different patterns. There were actually groups and everybody had their different style. And so when we listen to that type of music, it's like we can not only break to the beat, but we could break to their lyrics and follow their rhyme patterns and do our break patterns to that. So it's a lot more fun and open and creative. So that's very inspiring. And it changes your, it, t- it helps your um, timing and speed changes and delivery and all that stuff that is really, that's when the complexity comes into play, you know, is when you're able to do all of that, you know, from the technique and the, especially with the hard, hard moves and breaking in order to keep them on rhythm and keep them to a flow into a pattern and to make it look seamless. It's difficult, you know, and yeah, so that's where a lot of the complexity comes into a lot of hip hop artists from the 90s help out with that. But the sad part is, is that they're not playing stuff like that anymore at the breaking jams because of copyright issues. You know what I'm saying? Like, because they all want to put their videos on YouTube for people to watch all around the world. They're live streaming and then they get shut down when they play any artist. So it all has to be like majority of original music. And it's usually the same style of breakbeat, you know, made by, you know, these few artists that we have in the game. And I understand it because of these copyright issues, but it does make the scene more bland, you know. But yeah, I have so many different inspirations. I could go on all day. By the way, I love the 90s house party mix on your SoundCloud. I've had that on repeat. (laughs) Speaking of which, (laughs) I love it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I, cause I was listening to, uh, some of those songs that you mixed in during the pandemic. Like it just, for whatever reason, it, it took me to a very happy place. You know, that early nineties oh, yeah. music with, you know, TLC and portrait and, you know, mm-hmm. um, father MC. I'm like, no matter what's going on, I can listen to this and be in a, in a good state having, you know, music does affect you in whether it's positive or negative, but just, you know, that sound and the qualities and what those artists did back, back in that era. It's like, there's nothing quite like it right now, you know? Yeah. No, we, we, we were lucky and blessed to come up in the era that we came up in 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just to have a beeper and not have an iPhone and have great music and, you know, crazy talented artists with different flavors, so many different flavors. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. Very, very lucky. Yeah. So yeah, that's, so, that's awesome. So I'm, and thanks for all that SoundCloud stuff. Cause it's awesome. <laughs> it's really, really oh, good. Thank you. Yeah. I've been, I love DJing. I've been DJing as long as I've been breaking. 
you know, but a, a lot of people don't really know that because I'm so known for my breaking, you know, but yeah, I love DJing. Yeah, I'm gonna link. I'm gonna link your SoundCloud in the show notes as well, so people can oh, listen to that it. as well. So, my last question is: Is there a dance style that is currently describing your day at this moment, and why? Hmm, that's a tough question. I can't think of any. I can't think of anything. No, I don't know. <laughs> you're the first person that hasn't thought of anything. That's so funny. It wouldn't be breaking because yeah. you're not moving. It's not like chaotic in your house right now. So. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I'd have to think about that one, too. I'm thinking, just from watching you right now, just like your environment, I'm thinking you're like Butoh, because it's just slow and just kind of thoughtful and methodical. That's just my impression. That's mm. my own, you know. I love Butoh, by the way. I love, oh, amazing. What, what, I'm, I'm sorry for my ignorance. What, what, what dance style is Butoh? Japanese. It's that like Japanese. It's it that, yeah, with the very slow, it's so slow. Like it's so, you would think it's not hard, but um, a friend of mine is like, she does buto all over the world and it's a very slow, methodical, it's very Zen. It's very like, you know, Tai Chi, even slower than Tai Chi. It's like that. If you look it up, hmm. you'll see. But yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely going to. That's cool. Yeah. Sorry for the blankness. <laughs> Well, you you spend so much time thinking about your teaching. I mean, your your life is very full with so many things. And sometimes when you're not thinking of anything or something can't come to you, then it's okay because you your mind needs time to just like not have anything going on, you know? So that's totally cool. Yeah, we get, we get really wrapped up in what we're doing and put all our focus, like you said, all our focus on our artistry and, and what we're trying to accomplish and our, our brain just get flooded with just that. Which is a gift and a curse, right? It's good because, you know, obviously you're doing what you love to do and, and all of that. But then, you know, you neglect a lot of the other things that are going on in the world until you clear your head. You know what I mean? And just separate. Don't think about what you do at all and open yourself up and, and let everything else flow in. You know, and we all have to do that from time to time. But then not everybody's is a, as obsessive as us, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, the mag like we talked about earlier, that magnificent obsession. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, so I really, really appreciate your time and your insights and for bringing what you did to Freestyle Session. It would not have been the experience for me had not, I not seen you and your journey and uh, just now knowing the, you know, the threads that, that led me to this. So I really appreciate it. If you want to check out more about B-Boy Crumbs, go to his website, bboycrumbs.com. That's B-B-O-Y-C-R-U-M-B-S.com. I'll also link his SoundCloud. Oh, my gosh. Such great feel-good music, different mixes, house, 90s hip-hop, just amazing stuff. So we'll go ahead and close out. And thank you so much. Is there anything, one, any last, last words you want to say besides, you know, I don't know, anything? No, I just appreciate you having me on and, um, you know, great talk. And I hope that um, everybody listening could get at least one thing out of this podcast that can help them in any way, shape or form. And just, um, you know, let them know that, you know, dance is it's not your typical job, you know, to jump into. And it, it can get rough, you know, but you got to persevere through all the ups and downs. And I always say that this career is like a wave. 
It's going to go up. You're going to crash. You wait for the next wave and try to catch it. You got to keep trying to catch those waves. So just stay positive, believe in yourself, and most importantly, work your ass off. You know what I mean? Just that work ethic is number one because nothing is going to be given to you, you know? So, yeah, appreciate everybody. Live your best life. And um, I hope to uh, connect with anybody that's listening to this at some point. I appreciate you. We're out. Thank you so much. All right. Peace. Thank you so much for joining me on this session. Remember that you are valuable, your dreams are important, and it's never too late to be great.